Well, good morning. We're glad that you're here. If you'll open up your Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in a sermon series in Ecclesiastes. If you're using your pew Bibles, those are somewhere close to page 700. I'm not sure, 698, 99, somewhere in that range. Uh, some of you didn't know that the book of Ecclesiastes was in the Bible until we started this series, and so I don't mind giving you a little bit of help there to find it. Uh, this is the 4th of July weekend, and I did serve in the Marine Corps, and so it gives me an opportunity to tell a couple of funny stories and pretend that there was a good excuse uh, to do that. Uh, I played in the... Uh, I played in the Marine Corps band. I played saxophone in the Marine band. I did it for four years. So the first year of your military training, you make sure that you can uh, carry a weapon. A, a Marine is a rifleman before anything else. Uh, but then the next three years, most of my experience had to do uh, with recruiting and doing parades and ceremonies. And so uh, there was one year, it's probably 2002, 2003 time frame, that we had the honor of being able to play the national anthem for a NASCAR race. And so we got to go down, and this was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and walk out on the, on the, uh, the racetrack. And if you've ever been on a NASCAR racetrack, I never had either. When you watch it on TV and when you see it in real life, when those cars are going around the corners, like the wall in this room is almost as steep as the wall that those cars are going around. I mean, it's unbelievable. And so we went out there, we marched out there, and I just want to give you an example of like really excellent timing. Like we came out, uh, we marched out, we, and that's what it was all about precision. Again, in the public eye, you want to make sure that you have all of those things perfect. And so we did that, and, and right at the climax of that song, uh, of the national anthem, or the land of the free and the home of the brave, you have the, the uh, firing squadron comes over. We had four different pilots come through and just fly through right above. I mean, it's it's a thing of beauty. And I tell you, there's a few times I've gotten to do different change of commands where um, instead of just what you see in a public thing like that, we have four planes that fly over. They'll have uh, eight or 16 or sometimes even 32 planes will all fly over. And I mean, it looks really cool when you're on our side of it. I can't imagine that coming at you, you know, and, and uh, my goodness. Anyway, back to the story. So we, uh, we play the natural anthem. It's like this perfect precision. We did everything exactly the way you're supposed to do. So that was an example of perfect timing. And like they hit right on cue and it was exactly what we wanted. And then over the loudspeaker comes the words, gentlemen, start your engines. Anyone NASCAR fans? Gentlemen, start your engines. And all the cars fire up, boom, and they take off and they go that way. And we're standing here and they're going that way. And we turn and we start marching and we realize, wait a minute. This is a circle. <laughs> At some point, while they're going that way, they're going to come back around. And so we're marching, we're in step, everything's perfect. And the next thing you know, our drum major has to make the last minute decision. Uh, he turns us, and he turns us right down in the center, like the big NASCAR paint in the center of the field. And we march straight across that, and the cars just go <laughs> behind us. I mean, it was crazy. Like how like bad timing that was because normally someone does the, the national anthem and they sing and then that person steps off to the side and the cars all go by. But we had 50 or 60 people out there trying to get them off of the, the track was not an easy thing. And so all of our military uniforms are all covered in NASCAR paint all over our feet and like it's a total debacle. Um, America's Funniest Home Videos, anyone a fan? They are built around this idea of, of what the rest of us would say is a debacle now can make you a million dollars if it worked out well. Uh, it's a fam like of all the things that my family liked to do growing up, my family loves to watch people fall and get hurt. 
It's just something about it. My mom kind of built this into our family, and the kids would fall in the front yard and crash our bikes, and she would kind of raise up the window out the kitchen window and laugh at us, and then come down and maybe see if we were all right after that. Um, but it's just what my family does. My wife doesn't understand this. Like, she doesn't get the point. <laughs> Uh, but I am, I'm carrying the torch. My kids also like to laugh at people when they fall. Like, so we've got, that, we've got that worked out. But one of my favorite America's Funny Home videos, and it's probably 25 years old now, is that there's a video of a basketball game going on, and the seconds are being counted down, and there's this little kid uh, you see as you're looking at the, the clock. There's this little kid who runs across in front of, of the bleachers. Has anyone seen this before? Yeah, some of you are nodding. Okay. So he runs across in front of the bleachers, and then the camera pans back, and it shows the seconds are counting down, and he steals the ball the last second and turns and throws a full court ball that he's going to score, you know, with no time left on the clock to win the game. And meanwhile, this kid has been running. He runs the whole length around the court, turns right, and runs across the end. I don't know if he had to go to the bathroom or what he was doing. Um, the, the basketball is not even 10 feet I mean, it's nowhere near the goal, not even close. And it hits this kid. As he's running by, the ball comes through the sky, hits the kid, and knocks him, plasters him all over the place. It is like the example of the worst possible timing. Like, you could do that a thousand times, and you could never, ever see that happen. I hope that they won lots and lots of money for that, because I've laughed. I'll still Google it today, and you too can laugh over this thing. Timing is everything. The difference between a good joke and a bad joke is a sense of a person's timing. So one of my favorite examples of this would be knock, knock, interrupting cow. See, you, I, you see what I, I was supposed to interrupt because I was the interrupting cow, but I didn't. So let's try it again. So knock, knock, moo. I see you messed it up again because see my timing was off. Because I'm supposed to say interrupting cow, and then you're... So knock, knock. Interrupting cow. Moo! Ah, see, there it is. Yes. It's my favorite joke. If your timing is off, it messes up everything. The timing is essential when you're dealing with people. Uh, if you work at a place where the business isn't going well, it's not great timing for you to ask for a raise. Just not not going to work out real well. Uh, if you try to correct someone who feels threatened by you, you might, you know, you might get bit. Uh, you might be dealing with an angry person and they're stressed and they're hot-tempered. You don't deal with them in that, in that way. Timing is important when it comes to cooking. That's the difference between a juicy hamburger and, and a hockey puck. Like, it's timing is everything. Uh, timing is important in medicine. If you catch a problem early enough and your timing is right, you might be able to hit it with the right medication and be able to do it and direct it. If you skip your doses of medication, it loses its effectiveness. If you try to, if you miss three weeks in your dosage on a medication, they say, well, I'll just make up for it today. It could kill you. Like, that's not, <laughs> my pharmacist up here is going, yeah, don't do that. Um, yeah, that, it's not going to work. Timing is important in finance. If you invest in a particular stock and it's going in the right direction, it's going to work well for you. If you particularly, if you have that same stock and you invest in it right as the timing is wrong and right as it tanks, it's not going to go well for you. So timing is important. But timing is important in our spiritual lives as well. Let me release this statement. It is critical to live your life in a way that demonstrates an acute awareness of God's timing for you. 
It's critical to live your life in a way that demonstrates an acute awareness of God's timing for you. At the end of the day, that hopefully sounds a little bit like the meaning of life, of understanding what really is God's timing for you and of your life. If you can figure that out, maybe you have figured out the meaning of life. What happens when we seek ultimate meaning in life and we try to do that and and do it in a way that's not seeking uh, through Creator God but in our own methods? What happens when we're desperate for answers in life but we can't seem to find any? What happens when our souls get weird from this constant pursuit of running after and chasing everything and chasing all this world's pleasures and possessions? What happens when you do that? These are the enormous questions of life and of meaning that the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, deals with. And he grapples with the complexities and the tensions that exist in the world that we live in, the world of real life. Because a lot of times you can draw something up on paper, but in real life it doesn't come out that clean and that easy. If you remember from last week, Solomon was probably the wisest, wealthiest person who's ever walked on the face of the earth. And he took things to the extreme. He uses all of his assets. He exhausted all of his options and attributes to find out if there was ultimate meaning and ultimate purpose in life. And in the end, this ancient philosopher helps us to recalibrate our hearts, our minds, to be able to see that it is truly all meaningless. It is all vanity to pursue things outside of pursuing an ultimate God and God alone because he holds the key to the meaning of life. Well, Solomon's going to tell us today in a very familiar passage, he's going to talk to us about that life is really a matter of timing. And timing is everything. And it should be evident to us. You should see this in your everyday life. You and I probably have a dozen clocks uh, in our house. There's a, do- a, a dozen ways to keep track of time. You've got your watch, you've got your cell phone, your computer, your tablet, all of them have it in the top right corner. They've all got this little timepiece that helps keep us on track and make sure that we're all working. And the only way that it makes sense is if we're on the same time clock, right? I can be running a different set of time than the rest of the world. That's not really going to benefit me at all. It's just going to be living in a fantasy land. Uh, Our times are built into everything. It's even built into our UPS packages now. We can check and find out when are they supposed to arrive, where are they now, what is the timing of how it's going to get here. Uh, All of that adds up. Think about some of the business slogans you've heard before. Uh, We're always on time, guaranteed. We are on time, every time. Or it's on time or it's on us. Timing and timing, excuse me, timing is everything. So the first question I want to ask you this morning is kind of a a launch point is, if timing really is everything, then how should we live? If timing really is everything, then how should we live? Take your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is where we're at today. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Again, if you are using those pew Bibles, it'll be around page 700. If you're using uh, your phone or a tablet, you're welcome to uh, slide your way there as it would be. First point that I want to make this morning is we are to live in the balance of time. That's a fill-in. If you're using those fill-ins, living in the balance of time. The first verse of chapter 3 says this, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. 
Solomon is giving us kind of a baseline of where to begin, where to start. There's two insights worth noting just in this verse alone. First, he's building an argument by saying, there is a time. Some of your translations are even using the words, there is an appointed time. Uh, God has purpose and plan. Events in our lives do not randomly happen by chance, but because God has ordained them to do that. God has a purpose and a plan behind that. Secondly, in this first sentence, uh, Solomon is going to begin by making judgments on the topics here that follow. He's, 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 not gonna, he's just telling you what is happening. He's not giving you a commentary of whether it should happen or shouldn't happen. He is just, he's just telling it as it is. And again, he is just like he has with much of the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes. He's dealing with things that are under the sun. He's going to use this word time again and again. In fact, the key word time or timing is used 30 times in this first eight verses. Verse 2. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn. A time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So God appoints both our birthday and the day of our funeral. You know when your birthday is. You don't know when your funeral is. He knows exactly, though, when it will occur. And he always has. And he knows that about each and every one of us. As a pastor, I get an opportunity to participate in people's weddings and funerals and baby dedications. I get to be part of all of those kind of big events in people's lives. And it's such a privilege for me to be invited into that moment. Uh, but when you really think about it, both sorrow and joy are part of life. Without one, the other would be unrecognizable. If everything in your life was always sorrowful, you wouldn't be able to recognize joy. If everything in your life was always happy, you wouldn't be able to recognize sorrow. Uh, there's a kids movie that came out recently that, that dealt with this, of like why we need sadness. And like you deal with that. And, and, and ultimately, if you don't have both, it's unrecognizable. We will encounter negative and positive emotions and experiences throughout our life. It's to be expected. Change occurs constantly. One moment we'll be at the mountain peak and the next moment you'll be in the valley. And some of you are able to take that ride more gradually. Others you are on the roller coaster. It seems like one day things are up and the next day they're down and man you're on the ride of your life. Verse 6 says there's a time to keep and there's a time to throw away. For those of you who needed it, here's your biblical reference for why you have to have a garage sale. There's a time to get rid of it all. Some of you need to encourage your person down the road from you, you know what, you might need to consider this. It's time to get rid of some of this stuff. The thought here is dealing primarily with the fleeting nature of our possessions. There's no reason for some of the things that we have. It says here there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Most commentaries are here talking about romantic relationships is what you're looking at. Or even uh, the contact uh, between a man and a wife sexually. Men, you need to know your audience. You need to pick up on your social cues. If your wife comes home from work and her co-worker has just been let go that she has worked with for 25 years and it's been a difficult day and her tears are red, her face is red because she's been crying all the way home uh, and... and uh, well, you might just need to uh, postpone things uh, for the night, okay? 
to return home on date night early and you have to rush to the ER because your kid has to be taken there. He's going to have stitches. And when you're sitting in the ER in the waiting room, you're looking over at your wife going, so after this... Timing is everything. To everything, there is a season. I spent some time as a youth pastor, a student pastor, and uh, we were in South Carolina at the time, and the guys in the youth group do all that they can to impress the ladies. If you've worked with students, you know this. And, and so all year long, they wear flip-flops and, and khaki shorts and cut-off T-shirts so that they can flex their 125 pounds of ripped muscle. They want to make sure that everyone notices them. Uh, we would bring our, our crew up here uh, to Buffalo for a ski trip. It was a big deal to be able to bring them north and bring them here to Buffalo. We'd get, take them to Holiday Valley and go skiing there. And the same guys would wear the same flip-flops and the same shorts and the same cut-off t-shirts because they were too macho, like, the snow doesn't bother me, you know. And when you see a fool like that, when you see an idiot like that, you go, guys, you have to pay attention. Know what season it is out here. It's just as foolish uh, as they run around and they slip and they fall and they get back up and they're like, yeah, no problem. That's good. It's because you you're wearing flip-flops, bro. You need some shoes on. It's important to know what season you're in and act accordingly to that. You need to be working with what God has ordained as the regular rhythms and patterns in your life. Doing opposite of that is just as futile as standing and screaming at your apple tree in the dead of winter because it's not producing fruit. It doesn't make any sense. There is a time and a season for everything. If that line sounds familiar, there might be a good reason. Ironically, in the, this line of scripture has become rather famous thanks to 1965 hippie song written by the uh, birds called Turn, Turn, Turn. Raise your hand if you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. So we just divided the room into generations. But that's okay. The end of the song, there were six words added to these verses. Everything else lines up perfectly. They use the King James Version and they line it up all the way through. But with just these six words at the end, the birds were able to transform the lyrics of the song into an anti-Vietnam protest, pro-peace song. Following the last time, uh, the last words of it, a time for war and a time for peace, the birds added the line, I swear it's not too late. Time for war, time for peace. And they say, I swear it's not too late. And by doing that, they enter the book of Ecclesiastes into the popular music arena of the day. But you see, actually, they have removed the balance that is here. Unfortunately, their insistence on peace is actually not what is being taught here by Solomon. By adding these six little words, they've actually missed the whole point of what Solomon is talking about, that we are to live in the balance of time. And as much as we want to live in peace, and on a personal level, I'm probably as anti-war or pro-peace, however you want to say that, as, as more so than most of the people in the circles that I run with, but there will not be peace in this world until the Prince of Peace comes and rules and reigns. And I need to read this, and you need to read this and see this, and you need to see this and be reminded that there are times when war is necessary or that war is going to happen. This weekend we celebrate the 4th of July, our Independence Day. 
We sit in a room that's quiet. We don't hear uh, mortars going off around this room. We celebrate because we can worship without fear or, or without infringement on the law or anything like that because someone has fought for us for the right to be able to do that, to stand freely, to speak freely. And if necessary, we need to be able to die for what one believes for and the truth and dying for that. Now, I don't like war. I'm not pro-war. I don't think anyone is. Uh, but I would be a fool to think uh, that if I was in that place that I would do anything differently. Uh, it's my responsibility to honor the soldiers and honor those who have gone before us. It's my responsibility to do that as well as I possibly can. But it would be foolish of me to say, well, but if I were in charge or if I was the president, I would make sure that we would not end up in this situation. That would be foolish of me. Why? Because Solomon is teaching us here. There will be war and there will be peace. And I've been fortunate enough to live most of my life where certainly here on American soil we have had a time of peace. And we need to celebrate that. I, I performed a wedding on Friday where most of the personnel from that wedding ceremony were all active duty military at some point in the last four or five years. So they were almost all in uniform. And one of the things they asked me to do because I had served previously was to read a poem and highlight an empty table that was there and set as part of that wedding ceremony. It was set for a fallen comrade who isn't there because they could not be there because they have given the ultimate sacrifice for their country. And in doing that, this particular group of men actually could personally look at that and there was someone that they had in mind that was not at this wedding ceremony because he had given his life for the safety of his friends who are now in having this wedding ceremony. So that's a very different animal than what it looks like for us just to, to wave a flag and say, hey, we're so, we're so glad that those who have gone before us have fought for us. This is very personal, very real, and there was a lot of honor that and dignity that was given in that. Again, I've been graced in my life and most of your lifetimes to live in a time of peace here on our soil and in our place. But we need to see, we need to be reminded that Scripture is teaching us here, whether you're against it or whether you're for it or any of those things, it, there will be war and there will be peace. And that's part of the balance of life. If timing is everything, how should we live? We should live in the balance of time. Secondly, we should live in the beauty of time. We should live in the beauty of time. Verse 9. What do workers gain from their toil? Verse 10, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. 11, he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Are you ever going to finish what you need to do? Are you ever actually going to arrive? No, because if you do finish it, it's going to become undone anyways. Think about the things that you actually get finished. I finished doing the laundry. Or, hey, I mowed the lawn today. Or, I fixed the car. Or, I paid my bills. Or, I organized my house. You, you did it, yes. But it all comes undone. My wife was away for most of the week this week. I scrambled around the house and it looked good when she got home. Here we are. It all comes undone. And it's just going to come undone again. Not only that, but what you do is never going to be done. If you are obsessed with things being finished at work, it's never going to be finished. You're never going to be able to put in enough hours. So you better go home and spend that time with your family. 
Everything changes and what you finish doesn't even matter anymore. Eventually everything comes to an end and we're all left dissatisfied, disillusioned, and disapproving of where we've we come. Why? Because we live in this fallen, fragile, and frustrating world. But God makes everything beautiful in His time. When? In His time. In His time. God wastes nothing. Our great God knew that King Herod was going to be a despicable, evil person. He's the person who was responsible for killing Jesus or having all of the children. There's, there's a second Herod that had all the children who were killed when he was uh, try, trying to go after Jesus, this king who had been born there in Nazareth. Uh, but, but God uses that person. He maneuvers him like a tool in God's tool belt because he had a bigger plan and a bigger purpose in his time. God uses a brutal betrayer, Judas Iscariot, who's an awful person. When you think of how close he was, he was in Jesus' inner circle, and yet he betrayed him. But God uses him to bring about redemption and to fulfill prophecy about redemption of his people of Israel. We have a God who uses everything, everyone, every day, every minute, Every hour, every opportunity he has, he bends it all back towards his own will and his beauty. We'll see that the fabric of our lives is part of the tapestry of the beautiful painting that God is painting, and we get to be part of that. He makes everything beautiful in his time. If you look throughout history, he is making everything beautiful in his time. In your life, he makes everything beautiful in his time. That loss that you've gone through, that hospital experience, your failures, your job loss, your brokenness, your battles, your lack and lost romance, your heartache, your illness. Yes, even that terminal illness that you just found out about, that's going to be used in God's time, in his time. He makes it beautiful in his time, regardless of what it is that you're going through. Without him, life is purposeless. It's profitless. It's miserable. It's meaningless. With him, life is beautiful and it makes sense. Live in the beauty of time. We can often spend our time looking back with regret or looking forward with plans of what the future will hold and we actually miss what's happening today, here. We become consumed with mourning the past or with what we have to change in the future and we actually miss the present of where we are right now. Living in the beauty of time. Verse 12. I know there's nothing better for people to do than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Biblical faith is actually a call to joy. That's the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is being happy with the situation that you're in. But joy comes from a deeper source. Ben Franklin once said, said, do you love life? Then do not squander time, for it's the stuff that life is made of. Timing is everything. Let's face it, life is stressful. Even as I'm sharing this sermon, I, like, I'm stressing some of you out. Like I'm, I'm bringing up situations, you're like, man, I didn't want to think about that this morning. There's pressures from people, work projects, and so much more. Your kids will create pressures that you could never imagine until you've had some. We've had some pressures this week. I could get a, I could get a cold. I could get a flu today, this morning. On the way home from church, a car could cross across the yellow line and, and take me out. 
I ride my bike, so for the most part, I don't have a chance. It could happen, yes. But if you choose to live in the beauty of time, it's a different perspective. Many of you know our story. Some of you don't. In 2009, our son was born with a heart defect. He had three chambers in his heart when he was born. We uh, drove to Charleston, South Carolina, to the hospital there, delivered there. That was about uh, 300 miles away from where we lived. Excuse me, 200 miles away from where we lived in Greenville, South Carolina. And we spent the next eight months, 250 days roughly, uh, in the hospital there in an ICU situation. I'll tell you what, we learned in a real way that I'd never, ever experienced before what this principle is about, of living in the beauty of time. Because every day, we would check in on our son, and there were some mornings where he was barely breathing. There were some times that his heart would stop beating, and there were some times where he was on the operating table, and, and we'd have to sit for 8, 10, 14 hours waiting for that surgeon to finish. And he would, the surgeon would sometimes finish, and then they'd say he would stand for an hour and not move and just make sure that everything was set before they closed up the operating room. They wanted to be certain that everything was going well. And that was, the, that was what our lives were like for that season. But something in that happened that each night when I come home, and each night when we would come home, we would end up squeezing our other kids a little bit tighter. Uh, we would end up enjoying that day a little bit better because all of a sudden you had this grasp and this reality that, that every, every second matters. And we found ourselves running 5Ks and found ourselves uh, getting involved in a local uh, church and, and, and doing things there with their kids programs and, and, and just doing all these different things. I can't imagine we had time. I don't know how we did it. We were in the hospital all day long. But at the same time, we, we have these great memories of going to the beach and not just one beach. Charleston has like five different beaches. So we tried all of them. And we got to stay in these different places and move around and do all. We have these just books and books of all the things that we got to do with our other kids and with other family when they would come to town. And all the while, our son is there in a the hospital bed. How do you do that? How do you balance that? I, I honestly have no idea. But I know that at least in that season, and hopefully going forward, that we have learned and understood what it means to live in the beauty of time. All, all the bad, all the ugly, all wrapped up and understanding that God has a bigger purpose and a bigger plan for that. And so in 2010, when our son passed away, we had that same type of mentality that said, you know what, if time is short, then we've got to go and we've got to move back to Buffalo. That's why we're back in Buffalo, New York. We were in, in South Carolina. We loved it. It was a beautiful area. But the area that we were in, the people that we were serving, even my family members who were there and moved to our area, they all knew God. And, and they knew Him in a personal way. Not every single person but across the board, there was more relationships that we had in Buffalo of our lost friends. We said, you know what? If it matters, if we're going to really live in the beauty of time, then we need to drop everything and move now to Buffalo. Because if we wait a year, if we wait three years, if we wait five years, we wait till the kids are about to start school, we might be in a different spot in life. And we never know what's going to happen. Timing is everything. Time is in his hands. Living in the beauty of time. Verse 14. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear Him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. 
God's work is permanent and it's complete. Everything that he does is awe-inspiring. One year ago, uh, today, this weekend, I know because Facebook tells me what I was doing a year ago. Does any of you have this thing? So a year ago, I was, we were on a family trip where we flew out to California and, and drove my sister and brother-in-law back across the United States. So a year ago, we were in some of the most beautiful parts of this country. I'm telling you, when you, just, when you open your eyes and see it, and you're just awestruck at what God has done and what he has made and what he has built. And that's what is, when, we are, when you're awestruck, you should fear God. The phrase is fearing God or the fear of the Lord appears over a hundred times in Scripture throughout the Bible. It appears a number of times in the book of Ecclesiastes. The concept doesn't refer to a paralyzing terror, being afraid and not able to do anything, but no, this awe and, and respect for God because He is the one that you trust and the one that you believe in, the one that you know has all things in His control. And time really is in His hands. I'm not going to read through all the verses right now because uh, for the sake of time, verses 16 through 24 kind of shed light on some of the darker areas, some of the things that, some, there's some tension there, there's some, <coughs> some verses in there where he says, are we any different than the animals? Do we just live and do we die and that's it? And he's wrestling with these things. Actually, I want to share with you a verse that's in Job because Job is a man who lost absolutely everything in contrast to Solomon who had everything. You've got these two men. You know what? They come to the very same conclusion. So the one has everything that is, you could ever imagine and the other has lost everything. His family's been taken away from him. His health has been taken away from him. His covered his body from head to toe in boils. And Job chapter 12 verse 10 says this, In his hand, in God's hand, is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. He says at the end of the day, God holds it all, all time. He holds in his hands. Your time, my time, he holds time in his hands. God's timing is everything. So if timing is everything, how should we live? We should live in the balance of time. We should live in the beauty of time. But really the answer is to live in the fullness of time. From here you'll need to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament. Galatians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is speaking here. Galatians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 4. Check this out. But when the set time had fully come... God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. At just the right time in history, Jesus was born. This is what the Christmas story is all about. The coming of Christ was not a matter of chance or coincidence. It was part of God's divine plan to interact with the world that He had created. Timing is everything. There's a quote by Warren Wearsby. He says this, Historians tell us that the Roman world was in great expectation, waiting for a deliverer at the time that Jesus was born. 
The old religions were dying. The old philosophies were empty and powerless to change men's lives. Strange new mystery religions were beginning to invade the empire. Religious bankruptcy and spiritual hunger were everywhere. God was preparing the world for the arrival of his son. The time had fully arrived, the author of Galatians is saying here. God has placed his son in the manger. The time had fully come. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? Paul says here that God wanted to adopt you. He wanted to redeem you from the slavery that the law had created to make you one of his children. That's why. That's why he set time the way that he did. God knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you need. And wouldn't you know it, at just the right time, he comes to you. He provides you what you need. He provides you, in that moment, his son, Jesus Christ. His timing is always perfect. So if timing is everything, then the time has come. If timing is everything, the time has come. Mark chapter 1. If you want to turn over, this will be the last passage to look up. Mark chapter 1. Beginning in verse 14, the time has come. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He has just been baptized by Jonathan. He is just by John the Baptist. He has just been baptized. He's about to start his ministry. We pick up in verse 14. It says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Verse 15, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Some of your translations will read, the time is fulfilled or the time has fully come. The time is here. Jesus says, if timing is everything, now's the time. Now is the right time to make a commitment to Christ and receive God's full gift of salvation. Now is the time to join the church. And some of you are asking those questions. How do we join the church? Now is the time to do that. You can fill out a connection card. We'll talk to you later. If timing is everything, the time has come to recommit to your marriage, to recommit to your family. If timing is everything, the time has come to renew your commitment to walk in close fellowship with Jesus Christ. If timing is everything, the time has come to draw close to the Lord. One moment in time can determine your eternal destiny and mine. Right now is such a moment. You don't have to live your life separated from God's love and his blessing. Today's the time to receive God's gift. Timing is everything. If you've never committed your life to him before, wouldn't you think that this morning that timing was involved in you being here today to hear this message, to look at this passage again, maybe with a set of new eyes and say, wait a minute, this time I noticed something I never noticed before. Why? Because God's timing is perfect. If timing is everything, the time has come. This moment can change your earthly direction as well as your eternal destiny. And choosing Jesus Christ 
and what he did for you when he died on the cross and did so that he, so he could adopt you as one and break you from the slavery of trying to live this life as if you can do something to please an almighty God or do something to please yourself. You're not going to be able to do it. You needed God. You needed him to do something through his son, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I'm going to close this in prayer. And if you feel as though this is the time that you need to respond, I'll ask you to repeat after me. Would you bow your heads as we pray this morning? You may repeat this prayer to yourself if you'd like. Dear God, I don't want to live one more moment without you. I ask your forgiveness for my sins, for not recognizing your great love for me. I believe Jesus is your son. He left heaven. He came to earth to die on the cross for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead and is alive today. And he did so. He came at just the right time, just for me. Today I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me. Forgive my sin. Cleanse me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I choose in this moment of time to receive the greatest gift ever given, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So if you prayed that with me, if you've got questions about that, I'd love to be able to talk to you afterwards. Each Sunday as the band plays that last song, I do my very best to be in the back, give you an opportunity to come back and ask questions if you'd like.